So I think yesterday there was an announcement where uh, work from home will no longer be the default for most companies, the government announced. Yeah, I saw that too. So I read the news and I was absolutely devastated because I love working from home so much. It's like yeah. there's so much flexibility and control you have from working from home. I mean, I'm sure everyone listening already knows this, but like you can pace out your tasks. You can, I don't know, have your meal at any time of the day. You don't have to talk to colleagues you don't want to talk to. I think the best part of working from home for me is I can get to work within five minutes of waking up. And I think that's really saves me a lot of time uh, throughout the day. <laughs> Wait, how far is your office from your house? Uh, I take about an hour to commute one way. Okay. Yeah. So there's two hours that I save every day. Yeah, and it's like two of your sleepiest hours too. It's like, you know, when you take public transport to work, right? It's like you are just like half dead. Yeah, they're the most valuable hours. They're the ones that, you know, you want to snooze over and over again. I totally agree because I have these morning meetings now, right? That take place at 9am every day. And, <laughs> and, and usually I need to do some reporting about like, or what I'm going to do for the day and if there's like anything that my colleagues should take note of. <laughs> and like, I think the closest I ever cut it was being waking up like at 9.05. So I was five minutes late for the meeting. But nobody noticed? No, no, no. They, they definitely noticed. My team, my oh. department is like five people. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh no. Yeah, but like uh, other than that, I've always uh, made it very comfortably on time. It's not like I'm late, I'm late for work anyway, but yeah, it, the convenience is just unbeatable. Yeah, it's unparalleled, man. But I never imagined when I graduated and I, I would start working that I would eventually get a job that would allow me to like work flexibly. I mean, not that my company wanted to do so, but like it, we were kind of forced to. But man, like we are in this really, really strange time where, you know, everyone gets to work wherever they want, whenever they want. Yeah, and I think that some employers, they, they take liberties with that and they stretch your hours. I mean, that was already happening before, right? But um, I'm not sure. Like, I still have friends who have nightmare bosses who, like, call them at, like, 8 p.m., 9 p.m. Uh, to follow up on certain tasks. Like, what's your experience like? Um, for myself, because uh, my employer kind of respects our off hours. La, but at the same time, uh, on occasion, we have to do like night work or weekend work because I'm in construction, right? So we have to accommodate the program. Right. And besides that, we, we don't really have to entertain much uh, irregular hour work. Yeah. My sense is that if you were doing like that bullshit dance you do in the office where you're pretending to be busy, then you're probably saving a lot of time at home by not having to pretend to work. And so you get your task done and then like you're kind of like done for the day. Yeah. Whereas if you are like the workaholic type and you work in a kind of job where, you know, the tasks basically never end, you basically forcefully extend your own hours because your home is your office. So you can spend those two magical hours doing more work. Yeah. And the best part of it is that you're not going to get more pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... You know, maybe these workaholics uh, aren't in it for the money. Yeah, they're in it for the passion and pride, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what we all tell ourselves. 
Yeah, they, they're in it for the LinkedIn post. <laughs> do you know anyone who got unemployed recently? Yeah, I, I do. Actually, I have an ex-colleague who, who left us in the middle of last year to change industry. And recently, we met up again. And he told me that he has since left his new job as well. Oh, damn. Why? Yeah, so like I mentioned just now, I was, I'm was i in construction. So he left construction to do uh, a tech sales job. And his background has always been in engineering field and not so much in the sales uh, area. Right. Uh, I think he really struggled with presenting the product and answering the client's queries in a satisfactory way to get them to buy in with the, the product that he was trying to sell. Oh, man, okay. How long did he last in that job? I think about 10 months or so. Oh, okay. This is like the worst time to be between jobs. Yeah, and the thing is that he's also doing his part-time master. So right now, he will have more time for that. But I would think that if he didn't have any further studies to work on, yeah, he would be in a very bad position right now. I'm always very like sympathetic to people who are really strapped for cash, um, you know, especially if they get retrenched and they don't have a choice. Um, you know, some people are married, they have children, they need to pay the bills or they need to pay off the loans for a house. Whereas if, you, if you're single like me, then you just like end up just maintaining your emergency fund, right? Even if something bad happens to me, right? I still have like many, many months to like tide myself over. Whereas if you are very, very much in need of money, right, then you end up being very desperate. Lah. I'm sure you, you take any job, whether you like it or not. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And anecdotally, I, I know of people who, even though they are employed right now, they are actively looking to downsize their costs. Uh, so they avoid buying cars or they want to maintain affordable housing. So that, you know, in the event that they are let go or they, they can't take the work anymore and they want to get out, they are not caught in a bad situation. I see some people on like my Instagram who are kind of doing side gigs. So whether it be, you know, trying to sell their art online or I think teaching tuition on the weekends. I don't know. I'm not sure if it's my confirmation bias, but it seems more visible now than ever that people are trying to find additional income streams outside of their main job. Yeah, I think uh, our millennial generation, we have seen this trend whereby people like to talk about their side gigs, their side hustles, right? Whether it's giving tuition, whether it's, like you said, art or music. Sometimes they, they play for uh, events on the weekend or yeah. being a MC for weddings. So a lot of people have this side gig going on and I think we mainly notice it because uh, the people who are doing it, they really talk about it a lot. I guess to an extent, sometimes they are quite proud of it because it is their so-called true passion. I don't think like many of us dream of becoming you know, business analysts or like engineering supervisors when we are kids. And those kind of roles don't translate well to social media posts anyway. But, <laughs> but yeah, but I think that there are a significant number of people who've been laid off like in this last year and they have been trying to 
do these uh, gig economy jobs like food delivery and also ride hailing? I have a I have a story to share that my my friend told me about his uh so it's a secondhand story yeah uh, my yeah. friend's story so his army friend was uh let go of his job I think during the early part of COVID yep right so you know during COVID the many companies are not hiring in fact they are they're trying to let people go yep so what was available to him uh, was food delivery so he bought himself a bicycle. Mm-hmm. And he signed up with Food Panda, right? So for him, he managed to do quite well for himself. In fact, one of the particularly profitable months, he was working nine hours a day, six days a week, and he earned about seven k that month. So you can imagine that that, wow. that translates really, really well per hour. I think it's uh probably forty dollars an hour that that ballpark. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Thirty or forty dollars an hour. I think my hourly wage like works out to be about like twenty six, twenty seven an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this guy is doing well, at least for that month. Sorry, let me let me verify the math. So is this guy still doing the food delivery? Not too sure about that because okay. uh, all I know is that he posted about his bumper earnings month right. at that time. Yeah. So I, if I'm not wrong, Food Panda had a incentive scheme whereby if you are a bicycle delivery person, mm-hmm. you get more earnings per job. I'm, I'm oh, not sure okay. why, but yeah, they were trying to encourage cycling as a oh. form of delivery. Oh, okay. I think it's because they need to boost the short distance deliveries. Mm-hmm. Because if not, the longer distance deliveries get like more per delivery, right? Yeah. It's just like, you know, like driving taxis. You prefer to just take longer jobs because it makes your like mental and administrative load a lot simpler. So maybe like if you have a bicycle, then you are probably going to do a short trip in the first place, right? Yeah, probably. Like bubble tea from across the road, that kind of thing. I'm not sure if they've structured their incentive schemes to properly allocate uh, delivery riders to for both the long and the short ones. Um, Like I think a lot of the so-called salary for these gig workers like comes from like incentives. So they're like quests that you have to, you know, accomplish certain things and then they give you like a cash payout and things like that. In yeah, fact, I think uh, I, I've seen... Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I, I've seen the app interface. seems like they, they're trying to gamify the whole work experience yep. uh, so that the such a mon- mundane and monotonous job, like, you know, delivering food from point to point, yep. it, it becomes a bit more engaging and exciting. Yeah. I, I think you sent me an article just now about um some... Deliveroo Rider uh, award ceremony or something like that and then there's this like one guy who's going to be paid like $18,500 as a bonus yeah that, that's crazy amount right no, I mean even even if you are like, not in the industry I think $18,000 is almost you know it can, it can make a dent in your life trajectory yep yeah I think it, it it stops you from living mouth to mouth for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, but but we have to note that this he he had to do twenty one thousand five hundred orders over a period of three years to achieve that number. Well, wow, twenty one thousand five hundred. So that's like wait. Let's do more math. Seventy cents is it? 
no, uh, I'm trying to calculate the number of trips. Uh, of. Yeah. So it's eighty six cents per trip on average. That that's a bonus, lah. No, it's not. His that's a bonus, lah. That's a yeah. bonus. Yeah. Yeah. I I just divided it. doing. He has to do like nineteen deliveries a day. Right. Uh, assuming like each delivery is like what. Let's say thirty minutes on average. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's nineteen deliveries a day. That's wait. That can't be. That can't be. Okay. Like if not, he'll be working like what thirty eight hours a day. So let's just like call it at fifteen minutes. Like maybe he just like delivers a butt ton at once. So nineteen. Yeah, I think I think they can cluster deliver. You know, they they collect from the same mall and they deliver to the same area. Yeah, that I mean, that's probably a bonus for that, like a three four hit combo or something like that. But right, uh, it's a bit hard. I think there are a lot of riders who are kind of like waiting to snatch the jobs. Yeah, and as uh, patrons, right, we don't want to wait so long for our food. Yeah. Yeah. You take like whatever, whoever is going to be there the fastest. Uh. But, mm. but I think that um, these roles, when, but when I read like some of the online claims for, you know, the salaries of uh, these uh, gig workers, right? I think there's a bias to towards reporting the ones that earn a lot. I think you see plenty of articles about like people who are earning like what six thousand, seven thousand a month, but I think they seem to be working about um ten to twelve hour days. I mean, very much similar to your friend, right, or your friend's friend. Yeah. But, uh. Pretty much. Yeah, but I don't think we've yet to. I don't think we've accounted for the so-called regular like nine to five delivery riders. So I stumbled upon this article which said that um in the worst months of like COVID lockdown, I think someone was getting about like fifteen deliveries and then he was getting paid about seven fifty a delivery. So that works out to be about about two thousand five hundred dollars a month or two thousand four hundred dollars a month or something like that. Oh, that's not that's not a lot. At all, yeah. I mean, granted, it was a terrible month, but uh, I don't think this person was uh working um ten to twelve hour days either. I mean, mm. fifteen deliveries, right? So it's yeah. definitely not. It's definitely not like ten, twelve hour, twelve hours. But it makes you think that it, it makes you think carefully. Like, you know, then the ones who aren't like hustling, like mad, right? Like, how much are they really, really earning? Yeah, I think the average gig worker probably earns about three to four thousand uh after deducting costs. Yeah, three to four thousand. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, and, and the costs are even higher if you like use a car or motorcycle, right? Like if Yeah, you... especially with the recent fuel hike. Mm, right. Yeah. By electric. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I I think I I'm not sure, but I I do recall you like once telling me about a friend you knew, like or someone you knew who started doing right hailing like off the bat, like when he graduated or in the middle of uni or something like that. Uh okay, so I have this army friend. Um, mm-hmm. 
he's 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 not really highly qualified in the the typical sense. He didn't go for the tertiary education. He right. had an ITE cert, and after after army, he you know started working, and so the story is that he he met a Malaysian girl and he decided to marry her, and the two of them, they couldn't afford to stay in Singapore with the kind of standard of living that they wanted. Right. And they ended up deciding to stay in Johor Bahru where the costs are significantly lower due mm-hmm. to you know the currency. But he would work in Singapore and the family would be paying expenses in Ringgit. So it's like one is to three, right? Yep. Yeah, so, so this army friend of mine, he wakes up every day at about 3 to 4 a.m., Yep. And he, you know, he gets ready. He, he reaches Singapore before 5 a.m. to get the morning crowd. And he will strategize such that he will be done for his day by about 2 to 3 p.m. And he will head back to JB. All, all, all he's doing is to avoid the the rush hour crowd. Yeah, the, the traffic jam is, is quite crazy every day. Yep. So if he picks those odd hours... It's more likely that he doesn't get uh, a lot of dead time, uh, getting across the border. Mm. Yeah. Wow. But you can you can imagine that it's, it's an incredible sacrifice to have to totally change your whole uh, body clock, but it, it it pays quite well for him, and he earns about five k after costs every month. Oh, okay. That, that's mm-hmm. decent, like, even for Singapore standards. And if you were trying to pay off a slightly more affordable house. Yep. But, wow, okay. It's really hard to maintain that kind of sleep schedule. Because, yeah. because like, you, you basically cannot socialize with anyone with those kind of, like, working hours. But then if you think about, like, how much he's earning, right? Like, relative to his peers... And the rather low barrier to entry for the job of like right hailing, right? Like it's no wonder that he's just like doing this job, right? Because if you look at a lot of technical jobs, their salary caps out at about like four thousand to five thousand dollars after you've been in the job for like ten to fifteen years. So like why not just earn five thousand off the bat by, you know, driving for Grab or Gojek? Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. And I, I feel very strongly about this gig economy thing because it seems like a lot of uh, young people, they will end up getting the short end of the stick in the long term. Can you elaborate? Yeah, so for example, we have young people who graduated from university or poly diploma holders or even ITE cert holders who if they were to do the job that they studied to do, they will earn from low to mid $1,000 a month for the ITE cert holders and working as technicians to about $2,000 odd a month if, if you are diploma holders. Ouch. Yeah, and off the bat, like you said, you know, if you're willing to work hard, put in the hours, right, you can possibly earn four to five k a month. And this is all after costs. So it's no wonder that a lot of young people these days are being attracted to this. And, you know, even beyond the economic factors, there are some people who have certain lifestyle needs. For example, 
their family needs a car. Yep. And this is the best way to upkeep it as well as make a living. So for them, it really makes a lot of sense to end up doing these kind of gig jobs and um, driving for the ride-hailing companies or the food delivery companies. Yeah, you know, like the lifts in my apartment block, right? They are quite old and they kind of like break down really easily. Yeah. Like once I was like on my way home and then the lift like just stopped halfway, right? Like I wouldn't say broke down, but it just stopped in between floors. And then I had to call for help with my neighbor who was like stuck beside me. And uh, we had to do this thing where we had to like kind of pry open the door a bit so our phone could get reception. Right. But what struck me about the whole thing was that after we got out safely, right? Like after the they managed to get like a lift technician on, I got out and I looked at my watch. It was like 11.45 p.m. at night. And I was like, how did they manage to find this like lift technician guy to show up in like 20 minutes to half an hour, right? And that was when I found out that lift technicians have to be on call. Yeah, they're on standby 24 hours. Yeah, they're on standby 24 hours, right? And then like the entry-level lift technician gets paid something like what? $2,500 a month. And they have mm. to crawl into the lift shaft, literally risk life and limb, right? And then work in a really dark place, make sure they don't mess up while working on that huge machinery because of like, you know, liability costs to their employer and therefore themselves, right? Like, and then just to get to the point you have to go and like you know get educated and like learn how these things operate like why bother you know just go and <laughs> go and like you know buy your best pimped out road bike and you go and like deliver for like Deliveroo or Food Panda right and you're going to be earning like bigger bank yeah it's, it's more dollars per hour worked for a lot of people and I think this is a is a growing problem, I think, in Singapore and possibly even around the world. But for Singapore, it's because we really need these people who are skilled in the technical aspects of running of uh, our country. Yep. Like the maintenance for your cars, the maintenance for your lifts, maintenance for your you know electricity, your water pipes, everything. Yep. All these are skilled jobs that we are we end up having to get people from other countries to, to come in to do these jobs. And I'm not sure if it's a chicken or egg problem, but it could be that the broadening of economic borders, where we allow more uh, foreigners to come in to work in Singapore, there's a downward pressure on the salaries for these kind of jobs that, you know, be- simply because of demand and supply, there's a greater supply of people yep. and therefore the salaries will drop. I'm sure there's a policymaker out there who will like scream at you and say that, oh no, there are Singaporeans don't want to do these jobs. That's why we have no choice but to open up to the foreigners. Yeah, I, I think it's probably a bit of both. I, I do know that you know, from my circle, not many people want to be doing the hard labor, you know, to be in a construction site for like eight hours a day, ten hours a day to be in really hot and humid conditions, really uncomfortable. Yep. Yeah, so they would rather earn lesser and have a comfortable job in the office or something like that. Yeah, I think when you look at the two roles that we've discussed, uh, or like ride-hailing and also like uh, food delivery, they are kind of like relatively more glam. Yeah. 
like uh, for ride hailing, you sit in like an air-conditioned car, for, you know, like food delivery, you know, at least you're on a bike, you get fit. We all read like stories about people who like lose weight after they cycle a lot and some of them like do food delivery or something. But uh, anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, I'm not sh- sure if this problem is cultural also because I feel like we grew up in an environment where we were told not to aspire to work all these jobs that you get your hands dirty yeah, in fact, I think the common refrain among Asian parents was that if you don't study hard, you know, you end up like so-and-so, you know, doing manual labor or, or whatever. Yeah, and it was used as a, a way to spur us to work harder. But at the same time, it has ingrained in us a certain expected trajectory in life. You know, you're supposed to go to school, get your certifications and end up in an office and try to be people's boss, right? That's what they say. That's why everybody is trying to push towards getting a university degree. Even though, if you look at it, there are a lot of jobs in the market. You know, they, they state that they, they require a minimum of a bachelor's degree. Yep. But the job does not really require specialized knowledge yep. that a bachelor's degree can uh, give you. So it's it's all this, uh, there's all this pressure. And in the end, what it does is that it just forces everybody to follow the same path. If not, you are losing out and then everybody will do the same thing. The The effect is that there's a greater supply of degree holders yep. than the actual specialized jobs. And then again, you have the downward pressure on the salaries again. Okay, I'm going to put myself like on the line of fire, right? And prepare myself to be cancelled when I say this. But like, you don't need a degree to take all the tests and do all the studying to sell insurance or SAS like you don't have to put yourself like through like what four years of engineering four years of business school just to understand the mechanics of like one specific product and then just push that as sales like to your prospective or audience like that's something that anyone can do i'm not saying that people who do these jobs like aren't intelligent i'm just saying that like if anyone like really like sat down and like worked hard enough, right, you could be a competent, I won't say top, but a very competent like salesperson. But I don't think like any of us could like go and get a ladder and like repair our air conditioner. You know, the best I can do is like, you know, pull out the filter and then like wash it, right? And then my parents are just like staring at me like, like dude, what the f*** are you doing? Like, why are you cleaning your own air conditioner? And I'm like, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, pay $300 for someone to come and like wash it? See, I don't even know how much it costs, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, since when did all these things, being able to do all these things or doing that as your job become, like, so undesirable in people's eyes? I have a younger cousin who, um, he's Australian, right? And he recently told his mom that he wanted to stop his first year of uni because he wanted to become an electrician. Oh, so he wants to be a trade. I think they call it tradies over there. Yes, yes, exactly. It's like tradies, right? Tradies in Australia, like people who do like technical jobs are a well-respected class of people because I think Australians understand that like these jobs are really, really like not easy to do. Like they don't need you to, you know, sit down and read a textbook for like 10,000 hours. But the kind of experience and training that you go through, right, will will allow you to have the skills to be able to do all this, like, fixing and repairs in context. 
and to be able to deal with like non-textbook situations. Yeah. And so like when I heard the news, I expected to be like, oh my goodness, like why is he dropping out of like college? But then like I gave myself like two seconds. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, sure thing. Why not? Like let my little Gen Z cousin like do whatever the heck he wants. Like, it, it makes sense. Like it's a good job. Yeah. And, and I think tradies actually earn quite a lot in Australia. Like, do you have any, any reference for like, like maybe the roles you're doing or I know you travel to Australia a lot. So what have you seen or heard? Okay, I have friends who stay in Australia and, and they tell me that there are a lot of tradies, right, who earn like 50% more than the average office worker. So we misspoke here. We mean 5 to 10% more than the average office worker, not 50% more. We'll tell you more about the data later. From Google, there's some numbers that we can uh, take a look at. For example, this Australian website says that the average wage across all trade types was $90,246.55 per year, which is over $5,000 above the national average wage of about $85,000. Okay, so it's a 5-10% increase. Yeah, it's quite a valuable skill set to have. And I think fundamentally, the, the way society looks at you is also different. If you tell your folks, you're, you know, you're going to be a technician in Singapore, they will probably be very upset, right? I think uh, there are a lot of parents who have that uh, mentality. But I think in Australia, if you tell your parents, you know, you're going to be a technician in Australia, they will be like, you know, go for it. And they, they know that it's a worthwhile job. It's, it's honest living. It's hard work and it pays relatively well. So there's nothing wrong with being a tradesman. It's not just Australia, but like in literally like any other developed country, like even in Germany or Japan, like it's very possible to be well respected as a, a tradesman. And then also after that, like slightly later in your career, end up transiting towards corporate when you physically cannot do some of the tasks that you were able to do proficiently and even end up in company management, which is something that I think almost never happens here. Yeah, it really it really doesn't. I think there's a very clear path for most Singapore jobs is that you're either on the management associate track or you are just one of the warm bodies to fill the, the job, the, the role. I listened to an episode of Freakonomics recently. So it was an interview with the current like CEO of General Motors and the current CEO of General Motors started out as um, someone in a repair shop of General Motors, like after sales maintenance. It's a woman, by the way. Wow. Yeah, so someone like that, like after a successful 35, 40 years in the company, could rise up and end up like becoming CEO. I don't personally like the company, but it just tells me that General Motors has a culture or like a system that recognizes people who contribute to the business and people who know the business like inside out. Yeah, I think it's quite admirable that they have decided to promote from within, from the ground up for people who, you know, really know the day-to-day, what are the pain points that the workers on the ground experience when they are manufacturing and to, I suppose, they will properly feedback this to the designers to change their processes and to overall optimize how the jobs are, 
how they can make the, the work more productive and more enjoyable. Yep. And it's quite rare that people choose to do that. I think for one, as with all things, being skilled in an area doesn't mean that you'll be skilled in another area. Yep. Being skilled technically doesn't mean that you'll be a great manager. And being a great manager doesn't mean you'll be skilled technically. Yep. So I, I am quite happy to see that this lady has uh, managed to grasp both ends of the typical skill set uh, in, the, in the working world and carve out a, a role for herself. Yeah, you know, it's very natural that if you have like a large enough sample, then like within, you know, all the technicians and tradesmen, there will be someone with the capability and the potential to become like part of like management and leadership, right? I think the problem comes when all your management associates have never like had to use their hands and be on the ground. Then you can never have someone who can do both from the management associate pool. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because you you kind of like designed it, the flow of your talent in such a way that there's only one route in and one route out, right? Yeah, I would dare, you know, like any of the board members of like our public transport companies. Like when was the last time uh, you like fixed a rail sleeper? <laughs> or like when was the last time you even took public transport to work? Oh yeah, I think it's quite important that the people making the decisions, they kind of know what the commuter, the users are experiencing. They have better judgment uh, in this aspect. Actually, when you decided on your current job, right? Like, did your family or your friends, like, say anything about what you chose? Because your job is not a very, like, cushy sit in the office, aircon type, roof roll. I think generally the vibe was that they are okay with it. Although it's an engineering job, it's a construction job, it, it's not seen as a, a dirty job or something that's less than, so there's something good about that. And also because uh, I think they kind of let me decide what I want to do. After all, it's my career, right? Right, yeah. So for myself, uh, when I first started looking out for a job, I actually had three criteria that I wanted to fill. Okay. The first one was that, you know, the job must be able to allow me to put food on the table. I think that's uh, a given. Yep. The second one was that I, I wanted to be able to continue learning and growing uh, as a professional and as a person. And the third one is that the job that I'm doing, it has to be able to give back to society in some form of fashion. Okay, okay. So I suppose my current job, it fulfills all three of them. Yep. The end product, you know, whatever we build is going to be used by people. So that's the social impact of my job, the way I see it. What about yourself? What was your job criteria in the past? Actually, for me, um, when I came out of graduation, I was having a really bad time like looking for a job. So like I studied marketing, right? And honestly, marketing is something that if anyone like really like sits down and like works hard at, they can grasp, even if they don't have like an academic grasp on the subject. But anyway, like a lot of the roles that I wanted to do in like, you know, market research and analytics, I got rejected from a lot of them. And so I eventually started to broaden my scope a bit and there was one role which I briefly considered and that was a PA role to like some management in like some Japanese company. Mm -hmm. So my main role would be to basically like handle this guy's like schedule and stuff, right? And then like do admin for him. 
you know, normal PA stuff, lah. But and when I told some of my friends about this, they thought I was a, like a bit crazy. They were like, "Dude, what are you doing? Like, you you study for like four years and then like you end up doing this kind of role." The reason why I considered that role, I didn't get it by the way. But the reason why I considered that role was because like it would allow me to use like my Japanese language. Mm-hmm. Which at the time was like kind of like neither here nor there. Like I could read, but I couldn't really speak. But I figured that if I went into the role, like even for you know something as short as like a year or a year and a half, my language ability would progress to a certain standard that would you know open a door for more roles. You see, that has value for me, right? Right. And I saw that value, but I. Yeah. I don't think my friends saw the value, and it's very difficult for me to like explain to them how much it is, even if like I can say it, put it in words. Yeah. So I I don't think they will have the same uh, emotional uh connection to the job that you were applying for as as yourself because you you could truly see the value in it. So I won't say like big picture, but I had a vision, right? Like whether it could come true or not is a totally different story. But like. Going back to what we were talking about just now, like my cousin, he probably had a vision of himself like being a, like a tradee. You know, it's a picture of a life that he wants to live, and of course we are going to be like overly critical about it because that's not the life that like we want to live.、Mm. But if we can, you know, just have a bit like a bit more empathy and recognize that like some people they want to kick back and relax a bit. Some people they want to do certain jobs because. The job itself, you know, the tasks are meaningful to them. We could do a lot better with remuneration if we, as society collectively, you know, could have that empathy. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, but for me, remuneration-wise, I think ultimately is about changing society's perception towards the certain sectors. Ah.、Uh. Mm. Plumbers they earn a lot. Like if you have a choke pipe right in a toilet, your your toilet is overflowing or whatever, you're gonna pay. Even if the guy is telling you five hundred dollars, you're gonna pay the guy five hundred dollars because he's gonna fix your your problem. So, but fundamentally, people are discouraged from going into these roles because they're seen as dirty jobs.、Uh, and as parents, Asian parents, they generally don't want their children to be. Seen as doing dirty jobs, like it's a face thing, I suppose. Yeah, but you know, if someone was doing a dirty job and they were getting paid like six, seven thousand dollars a month, right? Then you cannot say anything, lah, because your stupid advertising associate role is paying you like what two point seven. Don't waste your time, man. So back to uh the gig economy. Do you think that there are people who are truly passionate about? Doing gig jobs, um, I'm not sure. That's a bit of a loaded question, and I don't blame you for asking that. But I think there are people who find the job pleasant.、Mm-hmm. The experience is pleasant, right? Okay, you just like I focus on getting to point A to point B, like getting the food delivered, and then like just like having these like fleeting interactions with people. I think it's fair to say that people have different levels of enjoyment, and after you do the filtering. The people who are doing the deliveries and the driving, they more or less are quite happy with the role on average, right? But that doesn't mean it's their so-called like passion, ah.、Uh, you know, it just means that they can bear with the job like very well. 
I do hope that like the people who do these jobs that they have like more free time to go and do what they are passionate about. Lah. Yeah, you know, one of the common uh, reasons that I hear for people who are doing gig jobs is that they have more control over their time. They're not, you know, bound in an office from nine to five. But from the data, from anecdotal responses, I realized that actually it's still the same because, you know, to pay for the rented car, they have to clock the hours. And to clock the hours, they have to, they have to strategize and target in such a way that are they going to go for the peak hour crowds, the two peaks, right? The morning peak and the evening peak. Or are they going to, you know, choose to not fight with everybody, not fight the traffic and to opt for the midnight shift. So there's a lot of strategizing going on. But the point is at the end of the day, whether you're doing a traditional job or a gig job, you still have to put in the hours. And to me, the flexibility of time may not be as significant as what a lot of uh, gig employees tend to say. Yeah, it sounds like they are just choosing their shifts rather than actually having like purely flexible time. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right on that. Based on what I researched, I, I think we can all agree that like if you were to do like regular hours on a gig economy job, uh, your salary will not be very competitive. You actually need to put in like some sort of overtime to get the incentives that let you get to a salary level that's very attractive. Yeah. yeah, especially in these COVID times, right? A lot of these companies, they have rolled back on the incentive scheme from what I've been hearing. So a lot of gig economy workers or private hire drivers some of them are struggling to make even $3,000 after costs and they have a full family to support. You know, So it's quite rough on them without the incentives. I'm not sure if it's actually the fact that the business is going down or the fact that like basically a whole lot more people started doing these jobs and it became a lot more competitive. I think it, it goes both ways. Yeah. I think that's the main reason why these roles might not be sustainable the open competition with everyone. Yeah, to make it in this, even in the gig economy, you have to have significant staying power. Like you, you know, you can take the constant tides of new people who are coming here, either to get a short-term tight-through job while they're job hunting elsewhere, or people who have decided that, you know, this is their best shot in life uh, given their circumstances. I think it takes a lot of willpower to continue to do it because you can see that your earnings can easily erode away when the company takes away the incentives or they change the, the rules of the game or they increase the amount of rights that you need to hit in order to hit certain incentives. All of these can just go away like without much notice to you. Do you ever wonder if there's like some sort of like food delivery rider cartel in like some areas? It's like you can't deliver in like this estate unless like you pay protection money to like our boss or something like that. I, I don't think so. I think the app probably decides it. I'm, I'm not sure if the app has any uh, hidden functions. You know, some apps can be hacked if you yep. jailbreak your phone or what. You can get the paid version. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, all this private hire or gig, gig job, the apps, right, whether you can actually have some backend hack where you can funnel the more high-paying jobs uh, in the vicinity to yourself. Or there can be like some sort of collusion. Uh, uh, the reason why I mention it is because I think 
like many many years ago, I think somewhere in the U.S. West Coast, they found out that like ride-hailing drivers were all like grouping together and strategically like shutting off their app to trigger the search price. Yeah, and then they will only take jobs like after the search price kicked in for a period of time. I think in Singapore, this also happens. I've noticed that sometimes when the fares are quite low and there are certain drivers around, you know, you can see them when you book the ride. There are like three or four cars in the area. And then slowly, one by one, they will just all turn off and the price will slowly climb you know, until such time that they are satisfied with it. And one of them will just take their job. Yeah, But I think people do do it in Singapore. They probably have a secret telegram group or what, you know, to coordinate. Well, it's like advanced prisoners' dilemma problems, you know. It's like, uh, do I do we wait? Do we wait? Do we wait? Do I take the job? Do I take the job? Yes. There's a good incentive for them to wait because a lot of them are complaining that the pri- the prices are too low nowadays. But on the other hand, as people who take rides on these private hire services, I think that the prices keep getting higher and higher. Like, I used to pay maybe about ten dollars to get to somewhere and then now I'm paying like $15, $16. I think it's painful uh, for us. And that's, that's why I also try not to take private hire rides as well due to the higher costs. Yeah, I mean, I actually find it very weird when people talk about like the cost of like, private ride hailing because like I rarely take it. I think I take it like once every two months or something like that. It's always strange when like people talk about it. I also wonder, like, how long is this attractive salary going to last? Because, you know, like, all these companies that are running these, like, gig economy platforms, right, they are all, like, unprofitable unicorns. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like they have no revenue, but then they are just constantly getting funding from, like, different investors. And then one day they have to, you know, shut off the tap of, like, all the- They have to pay the piper, eh? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they will have to stop relying on like a high expense user acquisition strategy and they have to actually start making money. And if the companies are making money, then the drivers are probably not. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That somebody has to pay. It's, it's a zero-sum game effectively. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if you, you're aware of this, but about 10 years ago, before this private hire vehicle started to have a foothold in Singapore and they're trying to get approvals to operate in Singapore. Yep. There was a lot of pushback from the Taxi Driver Association yep. because they felt like these people are going to break the rice bowls. Fair enough, that eventually that happened. Yep. Even though we have some innovation, we have more choice, which is good as consumers yep. and for the overall society. But the net effect is that the taxi drivers' livelihoods have been affected. Some of them choose to join uh, private hire companies since it pays more over there. Yep. And others, they just struggle on trying to hit the same numbers that they used to hit. And, you know, I think it's almost been 10 years. And recently, or sometime last year, I read that there are some schemes in place by Grab as well as the government to help people who are stuck in this uh, driving job, right, to get an out. Like they are trying to help people to, you know, get upskilled in certain sectors so that they can find employment elsewhere. And I think largely this is because more and more we are seeing that 
this gig economy thing is not really the most sustainable model for the overall society. Yeah, I think it's more felt in places like, I don't know, like San Francisco where autonomous driving is being developed at like a much faster pace than the rest of the world. Like once you can cut out like the human like out of the equation, right? That's when, you know, you get like cheaper ride hailing and then the company itself gets to make actual profit because they have like one major expense like cut out. But when that happens, we want, you know, these ex-drivers to be able to, you know, earn their living elsewhere. I think that's a good move, but it really depends on like what kind of education they're getting. Mm, I haven't really taken a look at the courses available myself, but I think it's a good first step to balance the equation. You know, there are many people who want to come in and I suppose there are many people who want to go out, but they feel like they're stuck because, uh, I'm not sure if you know, but there's this term that I learned from one of our Twitter friends. It's called employment scarring. So basically, if you have a period of time in your resume whereby you're doing a certain job that does not really add to your skill set or your salary, that's employment scarring. And so there are a lot of people who perhaps they started out being technicians. Yep. And after a while, they realized that, oh, there's this private hire job that I can do that yep. pays 30% more and I can own a car and I can have more control over my hours. Uh, everything seems good and then they take it on. You know, when these people, they've worked in this uh, private hire industry for three, five, seven years and they want to make a change, they realize that, oh, there's this three, five or seven year gap that, you know, looks really bad to the prospective employer. This is called employment scarring. Okay. I mean, I've never been on the side of the employers when it comes to this kind of thing. So I'll just say that this feels like a failure of the employer to recognize these kind of like structural issues. Because like, you have to be living under a rock if you don't know that many people are earning, you know, $4,000, $5,000 doing like ride hailing or like food delivery because they have to, right? And another thing is, it also feels a bit fishy bullshit to me because you mentioned technicians, but then we don't, you know, hang people on a cross when they want to change from like one white collar job to another. Precisely, precisely. Of course, there's some technical training involved, but then how come, how come we are holding it against these formerly lower paid people for doing a job, like a gig economy job that pays them better? Like if anything, we should applaud their adaptability for being able to like switch a role when they recognize like, you know, the current one is like not working out and the fact that they are properly responding to economic incentives should tell you something positive about their character. Yeah, I think uh, we tend to hear more stories about you know, technicians making the switch to driving private hire vehicles, largely because their base salary is lower than the typical executive in the office. So I think that's why we see more incidences of that. I'm sure there could be some you know, executives who are earning pretty low and they've had enough of like dealing with corporate office kind of politics or you know the pressures involved. And they also do choose to drive Grab. So I have this friend who has a law degree actually, but because he, he didn't do so well, he ended up having to 
do gig jobs. And yeah. one of the gig jobs that he did was to drive Grab. So he did a, a compliance job for about six months and he felt like, you know, he didn't really like it because the salary was low. He expected more. So the Grab life was more attractive to him. He rented a vehicle and he drove as and when he wanted and he still earned like three to $4,000 a month. For a single guy, that's enough to feed yourself. Lah. But for a family, mm. maybe you, you'll be stretching a little bit. Mm. And after that, uh, COVID struck, right? So COVID struck and there were very few jobs available on Grab because people don't need to go to office anymore. They don't need to take rides so much. Yep. It mostly comes from delivering food. So he, he had to change to something else. And when the rapid test kits came out for COVID, he actually went to do fine work as a swabber, you know, earning the $3,800 a month. Yep. So he's been hopping from gig job to gig job, even though he has a degree from a local university in law, mm-hmm. he couldn't find a good enough job that pays him. So he has been doing gig jobs and now he's really struggling. He's trying to get back into the corporate life, but how do you account for a period of like four years that you've been doing this kind of gig jobs? I think it's re- going to be really hard for him unless he's willing to you know, step back and take a pay cut and essentially earn as much as a fresh grad right now. Otherwise, yep. it, he will be very uncompetitive to hire. Yeah, I was going to suggest exactly what you said, right? Like if he wants to join back the corporate world, then yeah, he has to basically start from zero because it's not like he accumulated a lot of experience like before that anyway. Like if you made it to like a manager, then you rejoin as a manager, it kind of makes sense. But then you said he worked for like, what, six months? And then after that, he was gone for a number of years for whatever reason, right? But I think as a hiring manager, like you have so many people to report to and you don't want to take a gamble on like someone like that. Yeah, precisely. I mean, you want the proven product. You don't want people that you have to spoon feed, especially if this person is like in the 30s or later 40s or anything. Yeah, you want somebody that can just, you can plug and play, right? You hire him and he can do the work. Yeah. But but it's tough too because, you know, if he was like having such a rough time, like, was he trying to look for jobs like between, in all his roles? Like, was he bushing his CV around? Uh, right now he is doing that because, I'm not sure if you know, but the swabbing jobs have kind of dried up. Yep. The government has decided to outsource this to private operators. Yep. And the private operators, they pay like, you know, $250 per day of work. So if they activate you, you come down and then after the day, you get the money. But okay. if they don't activate you, which could possibly happen, right? Because there's so many swabbers right now. Then you could end up like going on one week, two weeks without earning anything. So it's, it's quite a risky position that he's in right now. So he's trying to do up his CV and send out job applications yeah but unless he's willing to take a step back take a pay cut mm. I don't think he will find it easy to secure a office based job that he wants okay one thing I'm realizing now is that like yeah you know if you need to earn some money like you have to go and like do whatever it takes to like earn some money right but I would say like that's not beneficial to you in the long run but that loses you a lot of the advantage that like staying on the corporate or technical ladder naturally gives 
Yeah, which is why I strongly feel that the gig economy should be relooked at. In fact, I think last year, there was a sudden announcement where you have to be above a certain age to drive Grab, you know, if, if you are a new entrant. But if you're an existing driver or an existing gig worker, you could still continue to work. But they decided to push back the age limit for new um, people trying to enter the, the gig economy, which I think is a step in the right direction because as we can see right now, there's a lot of people who are suffering from the unintended consequences of their choice to choose to work in the gig economy simply for economic reasons or for the lifestyle needs, like the family needs a car. Yeah, and as our working population like continues to age, like more of us will have to be working towards our later years. The gig economy thing can be more harmful even if you do take it in like your mid-40s or like early 50s. Yeah, I think if it's a short-term thing, like you're trying to tie through jobs uh, and still put some food on the table, it's still perfectly fine. But if it becomes a long-term role, for some people, I think doing a long-term job in the gig economy is perfectly okay if, if they're okay yep. with it. But if too many people are doing the same thing, then overall, Singapore could be in a worse position uh, because we end up having skilled jobs that we have to outsource. We have to bring in more people from the outside yep. when these jobs could be filled by people who are living here in Singapore for the long term, whether as you know, long-term residents or as citizens of Singapore. I guess it's hard because as a policymaker, you, you, know, you want to open up and let like all these like billion dollar companies like conduct their business here and like test their like business model and show that it works, right? But then when it becomes unfettered and they start like handing out cash so freely to all these like entry level roles, then you end up having the problem that we have. And only five, six years later, you have the legislation to have restrictions on people like entering these roles. So <laughs> I don't want to push the responsibility to the government again, but they have to step up if they are to solve this problem. Yeah, but I think they are taking um, baby steps towards addressing the whole issue as a whole. We can't just cut out the gig economy in its entirety because if you think about it, the Grab drivers, they're actually acting like you know arteries of the Singapore economy. They pump yep. people and goods and you know food or whatever from place to place, right? So, so they are doing a very important job. But at the yep. same time, there is a personal cost if they you know, choose to get out of it, either through uh, health reasons, like driving for long hours is not very good for the body. Terrible for your back. Yeah, yeah it's very bad for your back. It's bad for your kidneys. You, know, you don't get to go to the toilet so often. And also, uh, you don't have this safety net called CPF if you are doing these private hire jobs uh, uh, compared to a, in brackets, normal kind of job. I suddenly realized that like like teaching tuition, private tuition is like the original like gig economy job. <laughs> yeah. No barriers to entry as long as you know you you are willing to do it and you're able to do it, go for it. Yeah. And parents say it's okay, then you have like all this brain drain of like 
teachers from public school who realize that, oh, actually teaching private is so much more profitable, so much less stressful. <laughs> yeah, so much less administrative uh, burdens, right? Less parents calling you to complain about something that is not necessarily your problem. Yeah, but this is a conversation for a completely different podcast episode. I think we talked a lot already, so this is a good time to end the podcast. Yeah. All right. So thank you guys for listening. Please follow us on our social media, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at BTHPodSG or at BTHPodcastSG. Look for our dark blue logo. Links are all in the show notes. So today we had Kiwi again. Today we talked about gig economy work, perceptions of tradesmen jobs, and also employment scarring. So yay. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show, Kiwi. Thank you, everyone. And remember to rate this podcast five stars. <laughs> five stars. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.